Greetings and welcome to CritCast episode 19, where I'm joined by Charles. Hello, how are you? Hi there. Yeah, not too bad. So it's been a while, but uh, <laughs> just just been busy. But this uh, episode 19 is about two tournaments we went to in May together. So the first one is Tabletop Republic, which had player place terrain. Then the Troll Trader tournament in Bromley, which was judged and streamed by Glass Half Dead, which didn't have all it basically everything was heavy so two very different tournaments using two tweaks on the general rule set but yeah it's just me and charles are going to talk about each event in depth and instead of talking about our games we're going to talk more about how the terrain and the rules will because we think that's those are the that's the most interesting part from both events right yes yeah because it's like yeah, and, and so we, we wanted to shake it up instead of just talking about our games. Um, but I'll go over our kill teams briefly because we effectively used the same ones. I used Pathfinders for both. Originally, I was intending to use uh, Voidscard Corsairs, but I didn't get them painted in time for Tabletop Republic, so I just went Pathfinders, and I needed the practice. And Charles, you just went with uh, Yvette Guard, right? Yeah, I, I kept with the Vet Guard because I, I, haven't, I haven't rebuilt uh, a new leader for my Hunter Clades, and I do and don't want to play them. I do want to play other things as well, but the, the Vet Guard are just very consistent. Yes. And yeah, just you've been playing with them for a while, so it makes sense to kind of just stick with them. Uh, so there wasn't really much kill team variation with us. Uh, so we'll just quickly get on to the tournament. So we went to Tabletop Republic again. We last played there, oh gosh, I think it was... February or something? It was a while ago. A while ago. Yeah, it was uh, earlier this year. But uh, it was really good last time. Last time they had effectively like four boards of Octarius because there were eight players and they had pre-deployed uh, like terrain maps and all of that. But this time it was a little different. We knew it was player place terrain going into it. Instead of an hour and 45, it was two hour rounds. So basically 15 minutes of board set up. And then we, uh, what was it? Yeah, the interesting thing is we only found out the missions we had played basically the day before. So it was very different to how current tournaments are because most yes. tournaments we've played at in London have like the missions and the maps way in advance. So you know everything going into the tournament. So it was nice to have going in blind, basically. Mm. But then, um, so the interesting was the player place terrain because me and, me and Charles were talking about it a lot because player place terrain works in pra- in theory... The main problem, it needs a lot of rules to keep it in check, if that makes sense. Well, that's it. There's there's no hard and fast rules in Kill Team for how to place terrain, such yes. as to like you you should be leaving space between terrains so things can get through. Um, you shouldn't be placing terrain on top of terrain, um, things like that. And with player place terrain, if you have a pool of terrain and like each player gets to pick one piece at a time, if one person's not thinking about it, the other person could pick, say, all the pieces of advantage point and load them into bad areas of the board or one good area hoping to win the roll off a board side. Yeah, because I was talking about it like with Glass Half Dead and there was an- another content creator, I'll, I'll remember his name in a bit. But effectively, the problem is you do need some kind of structure because player place terrain is actually quite common in uh, Warhammer 40,000. Like in Warhammer 40,000 tournaments, a lot of tournaments do have player place terrain because they have so many players 
they don't have time for the TOs to set all the terrain b- between rounds, which, which is, makes sense because there was about 14 people at this event. Hmm. And as Charles was saying, their player place terrain rules were just players place terrain. They explained more on the day. It's like they didn't really say how you decided, but I, I assume it was the same for you, Charles. We just rolled off and said the role, the person who wins the roll off can choose to place first or second. Uh, well, really, on my games, we kind of turned up to the table, and I was like, "Well, I'm happy with this terrain. Are you happy?" And my opponent was also happy with how it was already laid out. We made a couple of slight adjustments just so that um, terrain wasn't on top of objectives, and to just move things so that we could place objectives. But other than that, we we just kind of kept how the terrain was on the board from the previous game. Um, yeah, because it's like yeah, that was the funny thing. A lot of players actually did what you did. It was only I think me and a few other like half the players were switching everything up. But it, the problem, like as you said, if you wanted to. You could technically stack terrain on each other if it allowed, and you could just place terrain next to each other to block off parts of the board. Thankfully, from our experience, no one really abused player placing terrain, but there's this huge problem when you can. Because I I was looking at the original Nova pack, and it's changed now, I believe, but they originally had player placed terrain, no extra time. Uh, But I was like, because there's one thing I was discussing with Glass Half Dead, it makes sense in theory. But in practice, it's like uh, it's it's why we play red rules, not because someone is definitely going to break the rules, but there's always a chance you could get someone who could. And if someone knows how to abuse how to play, like placing terrain against someone who doesn't, you could win the game just by or lose the game based on how the terrain is placed. Yeah, it's it, well, again, part of the, the game setup is actually creating the kill zone. Um, and I was just trying to uh, find how it says. Cause, like I say it doesn't give any full rules. It just uh, it talks about setting up the kill zone. Um, and like in the in the core book, it gives you like examples of like kill zones and terrain and things like that. Oh yeah, and it's very it's very vague. It's just like here's some good examples. Here's some bad. You shouldn't have like. Um, all the vantage points pointing into the middle, etc. So it, it it's it, it's pretty vague, which is the the other problem. If if the core rules had clearly defined ways to place terrain, it would it would make sense. But as you said, it's it's coming down to the community again, and it's it's quite difficult, especially when you're using varied pieces of terrain, because this time, as I said, they had more players, so they had like some Chow Nast terrain. A lot of Octarius terrain. They had some like Gale Force Nine terrain, so like the big, more forty k suitable stuff. There was mm. a board with Aquarium terrain, which I loved, but also a little bit hated. But that was also uh, well, when I played was, on it. It was on the the Aquarium terrain I found was fine because they they based it all on appropriate base sizing, and the only thing that <clears throat> really caused a bit of issue with it was more the the, the plant and foliage bits because yeah. they're not like exactly defined things so you like if i look from this angle i can see through these leaves and things like that about it but i i I played on that board first and i actually found the train worked quite well for what it was and they had enough on the board oh yeah it was like the only thing i found annoying with it is because it's not actually flat it's more like natural rocks when you look from above Mm -hmm. and even like halfway down you look safe but then when you get closer to the ground you realize oh 
there's just like a slight edge of rock which I miss. So what I thought was safe, I'm actually standing in the open. There's just little minor niggles that because that's the thing when you're playing with current plastic terrain from any company, it's more how do you describe it? Not angular. I guess it is angular. You know, it's more yeah, fixed. A, a lot of things like ruined buildings, you can they'll either be very flat sided or they'll be like a diagonal angle of rubble. Um, or they'll just be solid buildings and usually a lot of the time it will be like right angles and things like that. Unless it's unless it's more like sci fi futuristic buildings that use a lot of curves, but they will still generally be flat towards the ground part of them. Yeah, so that was the only thing. It was more uneven, which which added it was like really pretty. The only thing it was just uh, it got like I made a mistake on that board, and then I realized I, d- I needed to pay more attention, which is fine. But it, that was just a minor thing. Overall, the player place terrain was very interesting. As I said, my first game had Chow Naf board, so what I did we had punishing vantage points. So I kind of because I was talking to Charles about this a lot, I was tempted to, if I really wanted to, place all the vantage points in drop zones and then leave the tur- like leave the board as sparse as possible in the middle and just put everything in the drop zones. Because the thing is, um, you could argue, because you you place terrain, then you roll off to see which drop zone you get. So if you made one side really good and one side really bad, you could could say, well, if you lose the roll off, you get the bad side. But because I was playing Pathfinder, I was like, yeah, the bad side means there's no terrain going outside of my drop zone up to the midline. But the thing is, if if we're playing like domination and stuff where you need to get to my drop zone... Mm. That's that. It just means you can't get to my drop zone without dying because there's no terrain in the way. And I can kind of go, well, I can edge out, but if you come towards me, I can more easily push into you because you've got more places for me to hide and stuff like that, which we didn't do. And generally, my opponents were quite good at catching on quickly to see how I was placing terrain because what I was doing, I was placing all the vantage points open towards the opponent. So I was like, yeah, you could get on vantage points, but it's not going to happen. Um but your game was your games were pretty much different. Did you have a board like game where you set your terrain, or was it all just now oh, we're happy with how it is? No, um, I say we the the three boards I played on because people had played on them previously and set terrain. Well, apart from the the aquarium one because that was that was already set up. Um, but again, the 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 layout of them, I, I went oh, okay. This looks perfectly fine to me, and I asked my opponent, and they they thought it was also perfectly fine. Um, and we just went with how the board was already laid out by the previous players. Because if previous players have decided to lay a board out like that, then it seems good enough. Um, obviously, the the two people who'd set the board up previously had done the whole thing of, well, if I put this here, I can put this here, and this will give me advantage here to there. So that just took all of the uh, decision-making out for me. But like I said, we, we only really moved things a bit if it was going to be in the way of placing an objective or things like that. Yeah, um, but yeah, I was I was on the aquarium one first, and it was a uh, it was quite nicely done because there was not many direct lines across the board because there was anywhere there was um, like a corridor across the board, there was something in that corridor blocking it most of the way. So if you could get up to the piece of train, you could then see the rest of the way across, but you couldn't be on one side of it and see all the way across the board in one go. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there was like there was a one piece which was like an arch shape, so it had a hole in the middle, but you had these two heavy bits either side of it that you could hide behind and pop through. So it was a it was a nice bit of terrain compared to your standard forty k terrain. 
Yeah, and it was like the thing is the last first time we went, a lot of it wasn't painted because I think they'd gotten two tables painted and well, two they, just built. But this yeah, time, they, it was all Octarius the first time we went. Yeah, and yeah, they just didn't have enough time to get them all done. But that's perfectly fine. Yeah, as I said, I'd rather play on terrain than just nothing, even if it's unpainted, other than just nothing. Hmm. Um, but overall, everything went really well. As I said, I was discussing with one of the 40k guys, and he said he was like, yeah, he found. He, I think in one of his games, he managed to get it a, a bit, not abusable, but manipulate it into his favor. And it was just, he, he kind of like, he agreed with me, you need a lot of structure for player place terrain. So I, I personally would have preferred it if they just set the boards up how, however, and then good, and just went, um, maybe change it up a bit every round. They don't need player. They don't need uh, terrain maps, and just say like, "Oh, if the objective markers are on terrain, you can move terrain a bit, so the objectives are uncovered." Because, uh, like, one thing I've found is I think players are getting too obsessed with knowing too much prior to an event. Like, they need to know what missions we're playing and what maps there are. I prefer going in blind more. Yeah, going going into a, a an event blind and not knowing the exact missions you play, you're going to play does mean you have to kind of be able to adapt a bit more but if you it, it well it hurts experienced players more than newer players because newer players aren't expecting anything um experienced player guys well I, I, if i know what i'm going to be playing i can plan for it um whereas a newer player may just come along and go okay i'm playing this mission uh, how do i play this yes um i think he'll t- like because the thing is it's not like going oh we we, we just hate uh, knowing too much in advance, we've we've played about like what six to eight months of tournaments where we've known everything going into the tournament. And originally, I was really all for it, but the more I've played, I've realised, oh, I kind of know everything going into the event. So this kind yeah. of switch up was a very refreshing, and I think also, I prefer it more. Knowing the knowing the missions, you can sometimes go. Oh, well, we're going to be playing these three missions that are very either objective. Pick uh, a active he- uh, action heavy, or yes. they're just very pas- passive missions. So you may go, oh, actually, I might take kill team X over kill team Y to this event because it suits these missions better. Yes. Um, and without knowing, you have to go right. Well, I have to pick kill team for the event. Then you find out the missions and go, I've brought the completely wrong kill team for this event because it's all it's all GA, it's all um, two action point guys, and it's all about doing mission actions. And you're like, well, this is going to be a much tougher game plan. A hundred percent. And like that that's what I liked about the player place terrain. I was like, okay, I know the missions because they announced it on the Friday the day before, but it really depend depends on how the terrain is, and it's gonna be completely different every time, more so than normal. So I couldn't really go into it going, I'm gonna do X, X, and Y. I'm gonna go, okay, I'm gonna try and get the terrain into this way and then see how I do if I get the side I want, and then play from there. Which was it was a lot more challenging and a lot more fun. Mm. And it yeah, the player place terrain was nice. It just, next time, as I said, I think I would have preferred more if they either had a lot of more in-depth, like, as you said, oh, you can't place another terrain piece within, like, two inches of another. You can't have, like, more than one uh, vantage point in the drop zone or, like, if the mission's, like, only got a three-inch yeah. drop zone, stuff like that. Well, that's that's also something more that I think GW should address rather than tournament organisers. Yeah, that's completely um, fair, because as we because said, it's, it's very ambiguous in the core I, book. I was just taking a, a look back through the core book, and there's no actual terrain setup rules. They have a section that says, example boards, and a here's an ideal setup. One side has whole heavy vantage points, and the other side has lots of cover, including heavy cover. 
Um, and then they go, oh, this bad's really bad because it's all spread out around the edges and it's all vantage points. Um, and even then, those you, are yeah. unclear because, like, we've had like we've had a lot of people arguing, going, mm. "Oh, but that looks fine," and then you go, "Actually, it's not because basically no one can go into the middle without dying." So if you've yes, got yeah. like shooting teams, it's really warped. That's so- thing, it's, it, it's not like there's an actual like the board must have five pieces of heavy terrain, three pieces of light terrain. You must include a vantage point. It doesn't have any rules like that, which is good because it means you can use whatever collection of frame you have. But there is no like terrain should be at least one or one black triangle away from each other piece of terrain to allow access. Uh, you should avoid making impassable sections of the board, things like that. Yeah, hundred um, percent. But it's very difficult to come up with a set of rules that you can apply to every kind of terrain layout. You, all you can really do is give guidelines and hope players. If you do say, here's a, here's a section of train set up as you see fit, you just have to hope players won't abuse it to their advantage. But yeah. this is also done before you pick side of the board. So you could set terrain up that will massively benefit you and lose the rollout for side of board, and then your opponent gains it. Yep. But I think, yeah, it was like a neat experiment. I think if they want to, if Tabletop Republic want to do, which is in High Wickham, if they want to do player place terrain again they need to just add a little bit more refinement but i think it's easier if they just place terrain because i said like a lot of people like you just like oh the board's fine how it is we'll just nudge the terrain a bit to place objectives so yeah i i actually really hate having to set terrain up just because it's the the if i'm setting terrain up i go like okay this is this good does this give enough for one player and the other player is it balanced is it not balanced um, and it's one of the, the one of the things I hate doing because you have to. Sometimes you end up having to put stuff down and going. Well, I have to put this here because otherwise it isn't fair because one side has all of X and one side doesn't have any. Um, but that's what they talk about asymmetrical layouts. But I still think asymmetric. You should have an asymmetrical layout, but it should also have some symmetry to it. Yeah, because it's like the the other thing you touched upon, which I liked, is the pressure. Because if you're a new player, you may go, oh, I don't know how to do this. So this is really tough. It's like my first or, tournament. Yeah, or you, and then you, you place a bit of terrain thinking it does one thing, but it doesn't. Yeah, and then you have another player like yourself. where, And even I was like, I could do this and really screw over my opponent, but that's not cool. I'd feel bad if I did that, like that kind of stuff. It, mm. it adds another layer of pressure onto the players, which they may not experience, expect until they actually mm. start doing it. Um, and, and also, it kind of it almost needs to be done outside of the round time, which then extends the length of an event because you you really need that five or ten minutes to place terrain that isn't part of your actual game round. Yeah, hundred um, percent. But uh, but overall, really neat. It, it's just like uh, as I said, I, I don't think they should do player plays. Just place it, even if it's random. No need to deploy on maps, and then but otherwise, it was a really good event. No issues. Then for our next tournament, which was at Troll Trader Bromley, as I said, yeah. it wasn't run by Glass Half Dead, but he was the head judge and streaming it. So the interesting thing about this event, they were using the Troll Trader... Uh, yeah, the, the TT Combat terrain, uh, which yes. is their, their Orc... Well, their, their, their Orctarius-styled terrain. So similar shaping and layout to it but done to their own style with actually some neat features on it like cut out window sections that you can then 
place things in to bar them out. So yes. you actually, it's a very mod, it's actually a very nice modular terrain set. But the only problem it has is it's ever so slightly too small. I feel for compared yeah, to the Octarius terrain. Because the London Wargaming Guild invested in buying in the set. And on the website, it says, like, oh, it's three inches tall by X. So everyone going off was like, oh, they mean it's as tall as an Octarius building where it's three inches off the ground like the floor. But what they actually meant is it's three inches tall from top total, to bottom. Total height, yeah. So the problem you have with this terrain, it's 2.1 inches tall. So a lot of miniatures actually can't fit underneath it. And there's lots of odd holes there and around it. So you can block some of them up, but there's still like holes. So the problem, they, the way they had to rule this terrain was it's it's four white to climb. So you it's it's taller than two inches. But either way, another person, another event could rule it the other way. And they had to house rule that all the see-through pieces didn't didn't allow you to see through, which is not too bad. Yeah, it's because it's not that they're exactly see-through. It's more like they're um, grating that you put over the windows yeah, to, the, to cover the, the to cover the hole, the space that is actually a hole. It is you can look through it, but the holes are ludicrously tiny. Yes, so it's it just it's like this is covering the hole. It's not see through. Oh, and some um, are like horizontal, like windows with horizontal bars, like thin bars to affect like it's been barred off. But the problem is that gives more views than normal. But the biggest problem is their water pump. So it's smaller than the Octarius one because it's supposed to go in another piece. But if you put on the second piece to make it a proper tower, it has this bit of MDF in the middle, which like at a previous tournament they ruled as like insignificant. So you couldn't stand yeah. on it, but it was like in the way. And the biggest problem is if you remember on the Octarius watch like oil pump, it has two silos that block line of sight. This is see through all the way through, so it's still heavy. But if you uh, have ways to negate obscuring, you can see and shoot through that. So that that was another big problem. But the interesting yeah. thing about this terrain is, so this tournament we knew missions and maps the moment the tournament was announced, like two months ago. But it was Octarius using the troll trader combat, but everything was heavy. And I mean, everything. Uh, There were some pieces on the boards. There were little pieces of the light cover, but they were in the corner, effectively useless. They shouldn't have been there. Yeah, there, there was there were small uh, like barrier barriers, barricades, barrels, and things like that that were kind of a bit that were scattered across the boards. Um, they had um, mostly wall sections and things like that, which were all heavy. And the the major difference was there um, the ter- the terrain on top of the vantage points was all heavy instead of light terrain. And their Which, walls were heavy and traversable. And yeah. even, the, even the vantage point was heavy and traversable, which was, like, for me, as you can see from Games Workshop, everything they've given heavy doesn't have the traversal. It's not traversable, yeah. Whereas light terrain always has traversable to show it's easier to hop over, whereas heavy cover is supposed to represent but, yeah. it's it's e- it's thicker, it blocks line of sight, but it's harder to, to move around. Well, that's thing. It's, it's traversable because it's not exactly the most sturdy terrain, and it's generally not as protective as heavier terrain. Yeah. Um, and it, it and really that- warps the game when you have heavy terrain you can just move through for free because it allows you to... Well, Hide not for free, but still, still for tra- making it traversable. Meaning you can hide on one side of it and be immune to being shot, 
and then just traverse through it for two inches rather than having to either climb it or walk round. Yeah, it, it makes it heavy terrain far stronger than it should be. And mm. if you have ways to negate heavy terrain, but your opponent doesn't, it really warps it. Because it's not like Chow Nath and Nakland, well, even Moruk. There's no ways to negate heavy terrain, I believe. Well, I mean like um, uh, the obscuring rule. Yeah, but that you can only that's only for light terrain, which is the the problem. Oh, sorry, you mean obscuring for yeah for being Shooting, shot past? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was the that was the other problem with it is you could hardly get a shot across a board without it going over at least one piece of terrain that was obscuring. Yeah, because the um, thing I found out because I played on the top tables going from I believe round two onwards, but what happened was round two they were like ah. Oh, Jokingly, oh, everything's heavy to hurt your pathfinders because we hate shooting teams. I was like, you know, but, but to stop shooting teams, I'm like, oh, that's funny. Round three, round three, only oh, yeah, everything's heavy to stop shooting. I'm like, uh? and then round four, yeah, oh yeah, we made everything heavy to stop pathfinders. And the problem is making everything heavy doesn't fix shooting teams because uh, I've been discussing with a lot of players who play on tabletop simulator. And it, it seems to be stemming from there that um, that people believe making everything heavy will fix the game in some way, but it, it's really flawed logic, in my the, opinion. The problem is it can't. Uh, devil it can fix aspects of the game. Yes, but only in specific scenarios. Like, oh, you have a Pathfinder team versus another super shooty team. Well, both of them aren't going to be able to shoot, so they're going to have to do something else. But you go, oh, well, you've got the uh, a Pathfinder team versus a super combat team who's just going to use all this heavy cover to get close, jump them, and kill them before they can do anything about it. Yeah. Um, it, it's, that's, and the thing that's why Games Workshop's terrain is all a mixture of light and heavy terrain, because they all have their own advantages and disadvantages. And it makes vantage points either useless or broken, depending yes, on the kill team yeah. and the situation. Well, so it makes if we, them even if more we polarizing. Wanna, if we want to say on that, in uh, in the final that we played, because we we ended up being on the top table in the final, and the way the board was laid out, in one side of the board, there was a vantage point that had heavy terrain on it that had a commanding view across pretty much the whole battlefield. Yep. And I won the roll-off for uh, picking side, and I was like, well... I'm taking that side because I'm playing vet guard with a sniper and spotter who are just going to sit up there all game and be immune to being shot. Yeah, and the um, problem with that is because the only way to get close, you would have to run for two turning points because there was light yeah. cover in the middle of the board, but yeah, pointless. Because... The only way to get to them would have put you behind light cover and the vantage point would have ignored it. Yeah, like because um, the, the other thing with this, uh, with this terrain, with this board, I mean this tournament, with the terrain map, so they weren't designed by Glass Half Dead, Apparently, they might have been designed by a playtester or something, but they were very flawed because, uh, like, I, t I told a lot of the players there prior, as well as because me and Charles looked at them and was like, yeah, each board has advantage points that controls two thirds of the board. Mm. And uh, the players who were either playtesting or designing the boards were like, oh, no, it's fine because we've put some heavy there so you can't shoot into a third of the drop zone. And I was like, no, but you have a commanding control of the mid board. And then Two thirds of their. It doesn't zone. matter. It doesn't matter if you can't shoot into a certain part of the board. It prevents your opponent from moving into two thirds of the board. Otherwise, they'll get shot. Yeah, and uh, like we say, all of the vantage points had heavy terrain cover on them. So anyone who can shoot from concealment 
was immune to being attacked. Yeah, because the, the problem we had, it wasn't just one board. Every board was heavily flawed in that way. And the way, because I was speaking to one of the people who helped design it or test it, and I was just like, if this, if I was a player who didn't know how to abuse these boards, say it's like a six or like a three out of five. But if if I know how to abuse these boards, they're like a one or two out of five because the entire problem is, <laughs> they like they were like, oh no, you're wrong. So I played them and they like, they gave me the drop zone. I like, cause the funny thing is me and Charles lost rolls off until the final game. And we got, we kept get giving the drop zones we wanted because they were like, oh, you could, with this vantage point, you only get like control of the mid and you can see most of my drop zone, but I'll, I'll have this side safe so I can roll, roll up. And then the moment they realized what I did was when I placed objectives or moved up and I was like, I can see you, mark a light, mark a light, mark a light, mark a light, shoot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they were just like, oh yeah. Yeah, these boards are terrible. I completely messed up. Oh, this is horrendous. And I was like, yeah, because I like, as I was discussing with Charles, we clearly identified uh, if you had a 25 mil base, because a lot of these drop zones had vantage points touching them, I could get a model in there or near enough that I could just dash forward or recon dash or recon sweep and go, I'm silent, behind heavy. You have no way to flip me. You would have to, you would have to come into the open and grenade me but to do that would be suicide and you'd take yeah. two turns to do it they, they were they were all laid out in such a way that even if they come towards you for a turn you had a chance to kill them before they could even get close yeah and it's like um, even though a lot of the missions had central objectives and you had a heavy piece protecting a corner so they would go i can hide behind that corner and i was like yeah but I can send people on top of the building because there was a vantage point on the objective to shoot down, send people around the right-hand flank. And if you send people down the mid or the left-hand flank, I've got my operatives on a vantage point that will stop you doing that. So I get the mid and then I'll win the mission. That's what happened effectively every game. And yeah, in in our game, basically I went to Charles, whoever wins this roll-off is probably going to win the game. And we were like, yeah. And then I think I rolled like a three and he rolled a four and I was just like, pain. Life is yeah. well, it, it was it's, it's Tau versus Retroguard, so both shooting based teams, and it was one of those ones of right. Well, we know we know just looking for the board. One side of the board is better than the other, um, and yeah, it's, I, I took the side that had the vantage point that allowed me to basically cover the board. Because um, the other thing is, it, there was heavy terrain in the drop zones. The entire problem, it wasn't like in a line. It was slanted diagonally of a left or right. And you may go, oh, that means you can protect like one or two of your guys. Like You could barely protect one because if you put an operative behind one piece of it, it would be exposed to the other opposing vantage point. So yeah, you had this they... weird thing where it, on my side of the board, I only had two safe spaces to drop operatives if i had yeah, all of your team, all your all your people were basically clustered behind two bits of terrain just to stay out of sight yeah because there was nowhere safe to deploy because uh, like there's this odd trend going on where people are making drop zones really unsafe for big teams to kind of punish them but it's like it, it it's way too punishing because if you can't your drop zone should be safe and i prefer if it's like your drop zone safe but it's riskier moving out instead of going oh yeah yeah, yeah, turn one, you could get shot off the board, but I, I, I doubt that's really unlikely. And this, but the thing is, that's what Charles exactly did because he was in a commanding position where he had two thirds of my board could see into like over half of my drop zone. I could do nothing to shoot him back, and all I could do was like try and survive. And because of the way the way the heavy terrain was placed, 
like the heavy barricades that were traversable, I couldn't keep my operatives safe. So I spent a lot of turning point one getting pinned in, which was everything what Charles should have done. But I was just like, I can't yeah. get out of my drop zone. And we were playing. Yeah, uh, that was the that was basically domination. what really killed. Yeah, it's what really killed it for you. I I could push up from my side because I could cover myself, yeah. and anytime your guys moved out to take the shots at them, I could then fire back on them. Yeah, uh, and um, it was it was literally because of the heavy t- like because you you affect you got um you managed to kill my transpectral early, which was the right thing to do. And once I yes, lost the transpectral. Yeah. I couldn't play the game because I couldn't get enough marker lights where I needed to. And mm. you were just throwing pressure on me is what, is what you should do. And it was just really hard because I was like, well, I can see you, but I can't shoot you back because you're, well, you're just that was, over two inches from this heavy wall. Again, that was what kind of happened. Your your transpectral moved out to where he could see my spotter who was on top of the vantage point yeah. and gave him minus one AP. So he now can't use his spot action. But then there was enough room on the other side of my spotter for my sniper to walk around him, and then he had a he had a, a perfect line of sight across the battlefield now, where you were no longer obscured by terrain because you had to move out far enough to be able to see me. And the reason um, I did that because if you didn't, you would have. I could have uh, just spotted could, you and counted you as as engaged, so you wouldn't have got uh, the would have killed my leader. So like, yeah. it was like I was like I needed to keep my leader alive because, as I said. I had ran out of space to place my operatives in safe spots to stop them getting shot from my drop zone, which is what mm. I really disliked about these but, boards. But this was one of the problems with having this heavy cover on the vantage point. Yeah, There was no way you could even counteract it by going, fine, well, I'll put five marker lights on your guys. They can either stay up there and die, or they can run off the vantage point. Yeah, it's which like, is I what... I stay up here, put five on me. It doesn't matter. It's heavy terrain now. Yeah, which is what would have happened before. But as I said, it was like... The way the person who designed the board did not do it very well. Not in like a ha, oh, they got it wrong. It was just very in general. As I said, if you if you didn't know how to exploit these boards, they were fine. But if you had like generally the top tier teams, you could just laugh through it because there's nothing you can really do. Just because it it's the warpiness of all heavy heavy along with very overpowered drop uh, vantage points. So that's that's why we thought it was really interesting to talk about the. Uh, tournament in that way because outside mm. of that the tournament was amazing like it was just the the way the terrain was done was really warping it was like yeah the light cover was effectively useless because i remember i was in playing around too it was like talking to glass and my opponent we were like i was like why are we're, we're playing like long ways why are the why are there two pieces of heavy on the drop zone on the back edge where no one's going to be shot or be there like it's just it's it's like going. I'm going to put this piece of light cover that no one's going to use at the back of the board, but it's there, so I can say there's some light cover. It was very confusing, um, and yeah, we just found the heavy thing very warping. Most of my opponents pretty much, yeah, I mean they all pretty much agreed once they because th- I'm pretty sure the same thing happened to your opponents when they realised, oh yeah, I, I picked the wrong drop zone. This is terrible. Mm. So um, I'll go on. I was going to say that's just it. It's um, the way the drop zones, the way the drop zones were. There were some bits of terrain that kind of just made absolutely zero sense. Them even being on the board where they were, they were like just completely out of the way and paid no part of the game. There was like um, two little two little sets of barrel and sandbags, kind of like in the center of the board, in the mid on the on the very edges in the center, and they just did nothing. They weren't even if they hadn't been there, it wouldn't change the board in a single way. Um, 
and it's just like little things like that is when you're laying out a board it's like is there any actual use to this is it blocking a route through because if, if there'd been like terrain where you then had to kind of like jink around the sandbags or you could go from one bit of terrain to sandbag to another bit of terrain that may have actually been useful but everything was so far away from where they were they were just just bits of terrain on the board for having bits of terrain yeah and like the as i said the interesting thing about talking about this tournament in specific is specifically in relate to its terrain everything being heavy and overpowered drop zones with vantage points shows the like personally that's why when we set up boards we never put vantage points in drop zones like near or next to them is fine um but not in them, even if it's just a tip enough to fit it. Like, because the problem is, if a twenty-five yeah, mil you, can fit on it, it flips it completely. That's the thing is, you you should try. It, it all depends on the the drop zones you're using and the terrain you've got. You should try and not have it in a drop zone, but you can have like a vantage point on the edge of a drop zone. Um, it means yeah, you can't deploy on it, um, but you can if you're deploying in your zone. Generally, move up onto it, but then you're if you're a two APL team you move up onto the drop zone and then you're either concealed so you don't shoot, so you're safe for the next turn, or you're engaged, you fire, and then you have to suffer the return fire. Yeah, so, it's, it's like, the the other thing is it's showing, like, as we discussed, making asymmetrical boards, which are balanced yet give a slight advantage to the defender. It's actually really tough. It's actually really tough to consistently make balanced and fun. So it's not a way to go like, haha, they got this wrong. It's more like, it shows even how the slightest tweaks can make something way, way too good. Because like I know a lot of people get unhappy when I say this, but I, I think the Warhammer World boards are the best like example to use because they're always really well done. Being attack or defender is actually pretty even. It the only thing is for them, they make their boards like, oh, if you're the defender, you can pick a drop zone that has an easier vantage point to get to or an easier path to the center or to objectives. And I think that's more interesting than just going, oh, this side has a drop zone with a vantage point in it. Like the, making one side of the board easier to navigate through to points is a way more interesting thing than just going drop zone or all oh, this is heavy. So I think, but it's another topic for another day because like asymmetrical boards in itself is really hard to do well because it can be very easily broken in unforeseen ways yeah but um, um but yeah the in our final game yeah charles won 11 8 it was actually pretty tough at the it, end of it was it, actually quite a close game it was a, a closer game than it sounds at some points um because i i kind i think i got a bit more primary than you but you got more tack ops than i could so i only scored like three from my tack ops but you scored five or six I think I got so, five from it. I don't think I don't I don't think I maxed them out, but I, I at the moment I can't remember because I've we've been to another event since then. Yeah, um, it, it was very close. I think I had two models left at the end of the game. You had three, I, so it was very yeah. bloody. It was like I think turning point two. I killed like eight of your team, no six, six of your team, or something like that. Yeah, because you had the um, the kill more models, but I'd, I think I'd killed back three or four of them, and it was. It was one of those ones. It was quite close between. Are you going to score it if you if I kill this guy? It will maybe make you not score it. Well, it's because what happened? Turning point one, you didn't kill anyone, but you left. No, you killed, uh, killed my the, spotter killed trans- and my yeah. a transpectral, and then you left I like put, four of my models wounds. on yeah, two I- wounds just because you could see my drop zone. 
Well, that's thing. My I had a grenade launcher that fired a frag grenade that cl- that injured two people and caused your medic to save a guy. And then I used the mortar. Uh, no, I didn't use the mortar. I used the mortars on turn two to then injure a whole bunch of other pathfinders on the other flank. And that was the thing. I, I mostly did a lot of injury damage, whereas the pathfinders normally, when you get hit by them, you die. Yes. Um, so and then like- it just racked up after that. Yeah, because you people may go, oh, they're only injured. But then the thing is, going from uh, red movement to like two white is severely limiting, and also going from hitting on fours to fives without yeah. even with marker light support. You you like with a reroll from a marker light hitting on fours, it's pretty good. With fives, with just a single reroll, and if you get three marker lights, you go from hitting on fives to fours. It's really rough. So it's like Charles did everything right, but we we kind of knew whoever got the better drop zone would win because I think none of our opponents had really realized what drop zones because I said the other thing is they all gave us the drop zones we wanted and it was just like oh okay yeah that was that was the thing with the games I played of generally I looked at the board and went okay I can I can use either side one side's better and then my opponent was like oh yeah I'll be the attacker you can choose side I'm like okay I'll 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 take this side then. Thank you for giving me the the side with the drop zone that or the, the vantage point that covers the board. Um it's just like it was, it's just another, like, the funniest thing. A lot of people are just like, I'll pick this board on because I'm, I'm on it. And it's like, it, it was funny because, like, there was, like, some people say, oh, picking, like, asymmetrical doesn't matter because people just pick the board side they're on. Never do that, by the way. Never do that if you're in a tournament. If you're a tournament with asymmetrical boards, if you win, like, attacker I'm, or defender, always look at the boards and go, actually. I was going to say, it's a, it's a sneaky thing to do that you can, if you get to a, say you're at an event and there's a lot of players and there's a lot of tables and you're just coming back from a break and you know which table you're going to be on before, you, the parent's gone up, you know which table you're on, scout out the table and sometimes if you sit on one side of the table already and you go, well, I know, I know if I sit on this side, the, the other person will probably take the opposite side. You can sometimes unconsciously influence somebody into picking a drop zone. Yeah, um, it's like it, does, it doesn't always work because people may sometimes go, "Actually, I want that side," and you're like, "Cool, let's switch around. It doesn't matter." Um, but you can sometimes unconsciously make people make a choice because people sometimes go, "Oh well, I'm on this side of the board. I'll just pick this side." Doesn't because yeah. they don't. They're not looking at the game as a hang on. Is this side better for me, or is that side better for me? They're more focused um, on the matchup and the mission than yeah. the actual deployment. So that's why it's really crucial. We're not saying, oh, go up. Well, actually, can we just, we're not saying like, oh, I'm saying here, can we just play these drop zones? Like, as Charles said, you know, they'll, if they go, oh, I want that I side, ha- just go, okay, we'll move around. No worries. I have at times turned up, there's somebody's already been at the table, we've rolled for sides, and I've been like, actually, <laughs> I'm actually going to be, it's really annoying, but can I have that side? Um, yeah, like, same. You win the role, and you're like, actually, I want to be on that side of the board. And they're like, oh, cool, yeah, and just switch around. It's one of those things, it's a, sometimes a bit annoying because you've got to move all your stuff, but. When you when it is, does come down to a roll, you win a roll off, and actually the other side of the board is better. Um, you can go with that. It's a lot easier if you're playing like lengthways because then you don't have to worry about switching yeah. the actual physical side of the table. Well, because I've had um, opponents do it to me at the like in forty k and stuff like, oh, okay, I mean, more myself. Like, yeah, I know, but I just want that side. Sorry to be annoying. They're like, yeah, <laughs> it, yeah. So, but it, that that's why it's really crucial when you come to a board. Look at the board, not just the mission and your opponent. Like, it, it's another skill. I mean, the the board is sometimes far more important than the actual mission itself. Oh, 100%. Like, uh, the thing about the Warhammer World boards 
if you know, like for example, sometimes I will pick a drop zone because I know it has an easier path. So I'll go, I'll look at my opponent. They have no fly. They have no extra dashes. I'm actually going to pick the side, which is disadvantageous for me for being sh- for shooting, but for mobility-wise, it's better. So they're, hmm. they're more defensible and can't be shot. But if they actually want to get to the points, they're actually going to have to invest in a lot of either moving around. They don't have any climbing gears. So if they climb hmm. over, they're spending all their movement to move and dash to get to a point. Like that, and that's, that's, a, kind that's of another thing. Um, depending on the team you play, if you're a three-action point team, you can actually maybe take a slightly more disadvantaged side, but you go, well, okay, I've got three, P- three APL. I can move, dash, and get to this point which a two APL team won't be able to get to. Um, or if you are, say, playing Harlequins, you go, well, I'll pick this side that has all this terrain. They can have all the vantage points they want because I'm just going to leap over this wall into this heavy cover and I'm safe. Um, so you can sometimes even trick your opponent by going, sure, you have that side with that vantage point. You're never going to get to use it. Um but like overall, it was a really good tournament. Uh, like Charles came first, I came fourth. So Charles is now yeah. invited to the London Wargaming Guild finals in November. He's qualified. <laughs> um, oh, and you got a lot of swag for winning. Uh, yeah, I got. Um, it was really, it was really nice. Uh, they, everyone who came first, second, third got um, one of the TT combat sets to train, and the one I got was it was their massive orc complex bit, which basically I think was mostly all the terrain we were playing on and a few more pieces that kind of expands out from it. Which is it's really, like I say, the TT Combat terrain is actually really good terrain and really affordable. I just wish it was a little bit bigger, but then that would then increase the cost of things because you're using more material. Exactly. Because um, the other thing is they had 36 or 32 boards fully painted. No, uh, 16 boards or something fully painted, which is like, and it looked pretty good. Yeah. Like, obviously they just stayed, like I used wood stain or whatever because it's wood. But it looked really good, uh, especially with such a volume of tables. It was really yeah, nice. But there's, there's no fault in them for using the terrain because it's actually cost-effective to do. And for for gaming stores, generally, is terrain is one of the highest cost things to run events with. Yeah. Once you've spent the money on it, though, you do have it. But then if it gets damaged, you've got to repair it. You've got to keep it up to date. Um, so a lot of stores, it's a, a very front-heavy expense. But um, uh, and like the thing, it was really well run. Glass did a great do- job of streaming yeah, they, and judging they, it. They started a little bit late, but after they, and that was just unavoidable. Um, but once they'd started, round timing was kept good. We had breaks, and we, I think, we only finished like slightly later, like five to ten minutes later than yeah. the original, uh, like the original timing. So even though we started a little bit late, it didn't really impact the event. All the rounds. I don't think anybody really didn't finish. Oh yeah, because um, I, I finished. I, I think our game was the longest. But we, I mean, in, that I played on the day. I think we finished just like three minutes before we went to time. But um, yeah. all my other games finished like twenty minutes before, half an hour before. So it was no, yeah, twenty minutes. It was like uh, no one. I think went over time. Everyone pretty much finished on time, which is great. Like they didn't even have to warn anyone on timings. It was really neat. Everyone was really friendly. And yeah, because Tabletop Republic, I came second. I think you came sixth or something. Uh, yeah, so I think it's like fifth or sixth, something like that. I, no, you I came fifth, yeah, because you only lost to the Death Guard player because he wouldn't die. And then he won the yeah. tournament because he wouldn't die. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Death Guard discuss- when, when Death Guard discussing resilience just is hot, they just 
doesn't matter what you hit them with they just won't die uh, and um, then yeah you came first in tabletop uh, in, in troll uh, trader and i came fourth but that, yeah. that was pretty much it I, I hope you enjoyed this different take on well a tournament report because we thought yeah was, the terrain is it, more interesting to talk about in this type this yeah we, we can talk about what we did in the game but we've um oh well along with most of the tournament reports we've done we've basically for the last dozen tournaments played essentially the same kill teams and the same loadouts um and it's been relatively similar similar opponents almost because it's what people are taking to events yeah yeah yeah. but this was a bit more a discussion on terrain setup and tactics almost yeah because it's a more interesting way to look at the game and talk about it because the game's in a weird spot it does need a new balanced data slate Apparently, according to playtesters, there's not enough data, which is hilarious. That's another topic for another day. But I think this yeah. kind of, because it's not really well discussed, I think, terrain, people kind of just go, oh, it has to be asymmetrical, or it has to be symmetrical, and then people leave but, it at that. The, the whole thing is, though, what do you mean by asymmetrical? Um... Exactly. There's even, like, do you want it completely? like? Because, as I said, I think Charles' best description of it is asymmetrical, which is just symmetrical, but with a slight tweak to each side, so it's not really yeah. a mirror. That makes sense, uh, which which is kind of what the GW terrain does, because it's like people mm. think asymmetrical is like oh, everything has to be completely different. Uh, I can't. Yeah, one, one that. side the board, one side of the board should all be vantage points with terrain, and the other side should all be low points. And it's like, well, that's that's one way to do it, but it also highly favors one team over another because if a combat team goes fine, I'll just take the side with the vantage points. Now you've got to come running across me yeah. at this, across these fields. And I, was, um, I think it's more interesting when people look at boards as a way, should I make one side more easier to move around compared to making go, oh, one side's going to be better for shooting than the other? Because I think that's yeah, a more that's, easier thing to balance. I, th- I think the shooting thing is what most people first think about when they look at a board and go, okay, this has got to be here and here and here. But realistically, it's more how will the layout of the board affect crossing the board and where objective placement is? Yes, um, but but that that's pretty much it for today. We've just come back from Warhammer Fest, so not uh, Warhammer Fest, no, UK Games you, Expo. Yeah, that's the one. Uh, and we're going to basically probably pair that because we're going to Warhammer World's June tournament in two weeks. So we'll just yeah. double back on that and see what we can talk about there. But yeah, that's pretty much it. So thank you for being on, Charles. Thank you. you enjoyed it. It's stupid that you beat me. <coughs> you're you're <laughs> the team. You're banned. You can't, you can't play. Can't play anymore. <laughs> Uh, uh, there goes all your content. Uh, uh, it's GG. You're back on the team. You're back on the team. Um, but yeah, I hope you enjoyed this uh, podcast. Let us know what you thought. It'd be interesting to talk about. And as always, I've got a Discord and Patreon you can check out if you want to give us more, some more support. But yeah, until next time, no matter what your terrain is, whether it's asymmetrical, symmetrical, or heavy, remember you always have a chance as long as you can roll a crit. <laughs> <laughs>